Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ori Karen, CEO and co-founder of Linear B, a software delivery management solution that's raised over $70 million in funding. Ori, thanks for chatting with me today. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks, Brett, for having me. Not a problem, not a problem. Super, super excited to chat with you. So to kick things off, can we just start the quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, so my name is Ori, Ori Karen. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Linear B. We're going to talk about the company probably, but... Uh, you know, my background, I like to always start the story at the age of 13th. I got a singular Spectrum 48K, which was my first computer. And, you know, played games on it with my friends. But I also found this uh, book of BASIC, on how to program in BASIC. And, you know, you put some commands into the computer and it does things. And to me, that was a moment of magic. And yeah, that's where I started to develop that hobby of like, you know, developing software, by the way, side by side by playing basketball, that was my other hobby, but I kind of like, you know, left it out there. And when everybody does like a mandatory army service in Israel, so I, I'm based in Tel Aviv, I'm based in Israel, so the army service. And after that, I decided to try and see, you know, check out this software development thing if I really liked it. And I really liked it actually. And I, so I, I got my first job as a developer and then went to, of course, to university and studied uh, it as well, side by side by, you know, progressing in my career. For a while, I developed, you know, almost, I think, in every language that was out there at the time C, C, Java, all those languages. And after a while, I accepted a promotion, was a team leader, director of engineering. I was twice VP of engineering in the software companies here in Tel Aviv that, you know, startups that grew fast and became um, successful and were acquired by, by big companies. The first was a company called Interwise that AT&T acquired back in 2007. And more recent is a company called CloudLock, which was a CASB, Cloud Act Security Broker, a security company in which I was the VP of R&D of that company, but also the GM of the Israel site. So I had like two roles. This was a very, very interesting journey. I learned a lot from it. And yeah, that's my background. After that, we were acquired by Cisco. And that was kind of like the, where the seed was, were planted, like to start Linear B. But we can talk about Linear B uh, later. So I got to ask, you mentioned basketball there. Where does the Israeli love for basketball come from? I just had on the founder of Rapid the other day, and he was talking all about basketball. He told me his biggest life goal and motivation or one of the biggest life goals is to buy an Israeli basketball team. Where's this connection with Israel and basketball? Yeah, so Israel actually, you know, there was this very successful team in Israel, Maccabi Tel Aviv, which made a lot of like success in Europe and basketball is like a, a very popular sport in, in Israel. I have a stronger connection to basketball because my father was a basketball player. He was actually, you know, in the national team and won the European Championship once. So I had like this inspiration, of course, you know, to become like a basketball player. I wasn't as good as him, so I didn't make, but I really, I really loved like playing basketball and I still love like to play and watch. So 
Yeah, Israel is like this good uh, basketball foundation. Who's your favorite basketball player of all time? Wow, uh, my kid is asking me this question all the time. So if you ask me who's the best, I have no doubt it's uh, MJ. He was the is the goat. He was like, but he's not my favorite because you know I love the underdogs. So they were so dominant. I always wanted like other teams to beat them. So my favorite basketball player at all time would have to be Isaiah Thomas because I, I really like those, you know, players that are, you know, probably didn't have all the, the conditions to be successful in, there, in terms of how big they are and still, you know, fought their way. So this is my favorite basketball. I actually had the same number of him, like 11. What about founders? Who is your favorite founder or favorite CEO or maybe just the CEO or founder that you've really been inspired by? Yeah, so my favorite founder is somebody that I never met. And it's my grandfather. I had two grandfathers. One, you know, that I had like a lot of quality time with until he passed away. And the second I passed away when I was one year, when I was only one years old. But this grandfather, he, he was like, I keep hearing stories about him and I, I keep on investigating. Uh, and one, and then one day I'm going to investigate it a little bit more. He built a construction company, even though he had no proper education, he came to Israel, did Aliyah, came from Romania, was able to build like this big construction company. He paved a lot of like the, the roads here in Israel and he was very, very successful at the time and then crashed, you know, and lost all of his fortune and then bounced again, built a company. He did this journey like two or three times where, you know, from fame and glory down to like having, you know, uh, to build himself like, uh, from scratch again. And every time I hear another story about him, I get more inspired because he knew how to take care of his people. And of course knew he had the resiliency and knew how to bounce back. So he's my favorite founder and I never met him or I met him only when I was a baby. Wow. Super cool story. And that's so cool to have your, your top inspiration come from a family member. Most people here say like, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or, or someone like that, which you know, obviously they are inspirational, but it's always cool when it can be a family member. What about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you, not just as a founder, but as a, as a human being living in this crazy world? Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of good founders books. I love, of course, Ben Orbit in his book, but the book that uh, inspired me the most as a person and as a human is a book called A Man's Search for a Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And he tells the story of Victor Frankel was a Holocaust survivor that became a very famous psychiatrist. And while he was like in the, you know, the concentration camps and all, he saw this phenomena where people that, you know, had like some hope or something to live for, or, you know, some loved one that they were waiting for to re uh, meet or some job that they worked that they really liked or Everything that kept them, like, you know, inspired to survive this uh, horrible experience and do something with it had uh, increased their chances to survive. There's a lot of great quotes in this book and a lot of great stories. I remember that this book made, like, the such a great impact on me. I actually went back and read it again. So that's why, that's probably the, my favorite book of all it's time. It's probably been 10 years since I've read that book. So I need to go back and read it again because when I read it, it really put my life in perspective. You know, when I think I'm having a bad year or, you know, business is off, you know, things like that, or just personal challenges, you read that book and you have a whole new perspective on life. So really a huge, huge fan of that book. 
You're right. It puts everything in perspective. But also, I remember while reading it, it's like, it is not like saying how awful it was. He described it from this place of like, in some way, very interesting, you know, logical, like way to look at and the challenges life throws at you. And yeah, life definitely throws the most difficult challenges at, at him. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's switch gears here and let's dive into the company. So can we just start with the elevator pitch? You know, in simple terms, what does the company do? We're a software delivery management platform. Basically what it means, we help engineering organizations measure themselves and accelerate how they deliver software. Our main persona or the main, you know, individual that will consume our product that, that, or our buyer is the VP of engineering. And we come to help like the VP of engineering in what we call that dual mandate that uh, they have to master. On one hand, you know, ever since like the Agile Manifesto was published like 22 years ago and, you know, then CICD and everything, engineering leaders, they need to master operational efficiency. They need to make sure that everything is flowing in, in their org, especially as they scale. When I went through this journey, like I told you, and it's tough, right? Because you have to speak the engineering language. You have to make sure your teams are aligned right. And you have to make sure it's almost like uh, one specific language that you speak with your engineering organization. The second part of that dual mandate is engineering leaders, especially in the last three or four years, are also required to be business leaders. And they need to make sure that they align what their engineering organization is doing with the business needs. What does it mean? Like FinOps is getting into like the engineering practices. So what projects are we working on? How much do they cost? What's their business impact? Is it worthwhile to continue to invest in them, to increase the investment or maybe, you know, to stop them or maybe just to keep them as they are? Look at the investment on the total investment. How much dollars are we spending just to keeping the lights on versus innovation and, you know, feature enhancements, et cetera. So our product covers all of that, measures all of that, gives you visibility to all of that, but also gives you, gives especially the platform engineering teams and the developers an infrastructure and programming languages to write rules to solve the problems that they are seeing. So for example, let's say that I'm identified that my CI, you know, is taking too long. Developers can write rules that say, let's just run a specific part of the CI suite for that type of change. So classify the changes and respond to them accordingly. Same goes for how code is being merged, which is one of the biggest bottlenecks in the software delivery lifecycle right now. So they can write rules like, you know, if we're just changing like an image or the static code or a test, let the code be merged automatically versus, you know, if we're touching the crown jewels or something very important, let's put two or three reviewers on that. So. That's software delivery management in a nutshell. Hmm. Super fascinating. And can you give us an idea of the growth you're seeing today and any metrics or numbers that you can share? Our audience loves to hear metrics. Yeah. So we started the company in 2019. We had a couple of design partners and like, you know, a small number of customers. But 2021 is the year where we started to see some significant growth. We grew Uh, 6x in terms of revenue, you know, from the first couple of hundreds of uh, thousands of ARR. Then we grew 3x, a little bit even more than that in 2022. And we're on that trajectory to um, go over 2x this year. 
to hopefully 2.5x. So without getting into the, the specific numbers, we believe that in, in this, uh, you know, market and in these conditions, this is a, a growth that we're really proud of. Yeah. So those are like the growth are in terms of like AR, et cetera. We also like the, you know, the engineering metrics, we're customer zero. So we're the first customer of our own, you know, product. So every time somebody asks me about metrics, I'm, I can answer about the growth metrics, but I'm also very proud that our cycle time, meaning like how much time it takes, you know, from when code is being committed until it's in production, it used to be in the areas of like nine days. And now it's in the areas of like less than two days. So I have this thing where every time somebody asks me about metrics, I also have been very proud on our engineering metrics and how we improve them. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. What do you attribute to that success and growth? Because I think there's a lot of noise in this space. So I have to imagine it's not easy to rise above the noise and connect with engineering leaders like this. What have you gotten right? There's a bunch of things. It starts, of course, me and my partner, Dan Lyons, who's also an ex-engineering leader. I think both of us are product people at our essence, like we're developers and we like product and we're laser focused on just making sure the product is is the best. It's not enough, of course. I think another thing that we did, which was unique and different, is early on we we said to ourselves, we are operating in sort of like, I wouldn't say it's a new category, but we're like, it's a category that we're kind of alternating a little bit the, the, its definition. So we got to educate the market or at least tell our philosophy and look for avenues to say, to amplify our philosophy and, and tell exactly how we think it should be done. So for example, one of the things we did, which is probably not typical for a company our size, invested a lot in a podcast that is super popular called Dev Interrupted, that we bring a lot of engineering leaders that talk about how they think, you know, things should be measured and handled. So we did that and we have our own event, you know, sometimes it takes companies a lot of, you know, energy and time to get to an event that can drive 1700 people, a virtual event. And we got to this very early on because of a conscious choice to invest in the, in, in this so we can tell our story, talk about our philosophy and let the audience, you know, judge and say if it's something that is interesting. I think that was one of the things that drove like the early success uh, for us. I talk with a lot of founders about starting podcasts and a lot of them say, you know, how do I measure ROI on this? And how do I make sure that, you know, we're getting direct revenue impact? How do you measure that ROI from the podcast? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And I'll be very open and very honest that it's hard. There is a science around it that you can, you know, do a multi-touch attribute. You can understand if somebody was a listener at one point. But I think uh, at the end, you got to take like a um, brave choice if you want to do it, yes or no. By the way, for us, we believe in people. So we had people in the company that were very passionate about it. And if you go with the passion of your people, great things will happen, especially if they're talented, like the talented people we have in our company. So there were a lot of people that wanted to do this. And so I can sit here all day and tell you, you know, Brett, we planned it in advance and, you know, we knew it was going to. 
Well, we didn't know. We just went with the passion of our people and we built like a, this great podcast. Well, now we're improving and measuring the ROI of it, but it did this big splash for us and big noise for us that is not, you know, it can't be scientifically measured. And yeah, so again, I think we had our intuition of listening to our people that that's the right thing to do, drove a lot of this success. And yeah, they're right. The people, it's really hard to measure the exact, you know, attribution. Like we get, you know, customers that say, you know what? We came to you because we listened to the podcast, but it's not just that. They listened to the podcast and then they read like a piece of blog and then they, they went on trial. So it's hard. There's this multi-touch, you know, attribution thing going on. And if you want a very accurate like ROI, it's hard to do with the podcast. Yeah, I think it's just very hard in general, right? When you're looking at B2B and complex sales cycles, it's not just selling a, a toothbrush on Instagram where someone sees the ad instantly clicks, they buys, and you, you can measure the direct ROI immediately. I think with enterprise B2B, those sales cycles are just much, much more complex. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, we divide it to what we call like more the transactional, you know, demand and more the hybrid one in the transactional side. Sometimes, you know, people like see a campaign, they sign up, they, they want the demo and they start, we start the sale process, right? But like you said, in most cases, it's more complex. Like, okay, it's it's a hybrid motion of, of listen to a podcast, read a piece of, of a blog, talk to us, rest for two months because you need the time, you know, to go by and you understand that you really need it. So you got to master both of this, the hybrid and the transactional. And if I look online, there's probably like 500 or more podcasts for developers. Do you think one thing that made your podcast unique is that it's specifically focused on engineering leaders and not the developers themselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's for engineering leaders and for people that aspire to be engineering leaders. And I'll tell you that we identified that there's a vacuum there. Yeah. As developers, there was conferences and podcasts all the time as engineering leaders. It's one of the loneliest jobs in the universe. So we definitely told ourselves, hey, there's a need. And if we build it, they will come because uh, it's lonely and there's a vacuum. So I definitely think the answer is yes. And you mentioned there that you started the company in 2019 and it really started to gain major traction in 2021. What was happening in that two-year period? Was it just a rush to try to find product market fit, get the messaging right, get the positioning right? What was going on in that two-year period? And what did you do to hit that growth in 2021? I would say 2019, it's the first year we had like design partners that became customers. We actually got like, you know, 15 or 20 customers really fast. And then, you know, they became customers. We're obsessed with what people are doing with our product. So we tracked that and we saw they're logging in, looking at the dashboard, logging out. And we said to ourselves, wait, that's not the way like to build a software delivery management platform. You got to make it more sticky, make sure it's being rolled out to more people in the organization. So in 2020 is where we did this transformation. By the way, like it was a product transformation, but also sort of like a go-to-market transformation, or at least we added another go-to-market motion, a PLG go-to-market motion. We said, okay, we're sitting on this hub of data. Let's make sure we also give value to the engineering leaders, you know, the team leaders, the directors. And to the developers at the end, because at the end of the day, when you want to roll out this type of solution, you got to give some value for developers. And what is the value for developers? They don't care about metrics or to measure things. They want their pull requests or the thing that they're working on to be merged 
uh, much more efficiently and faster. So we invested a lot of energy in that. So I would say 2019 and 2020 is well, it helps us like figure out how to get to make sure the value that we deliver is touching multiple personas and also how to convince the buyer and, and the, the VP of engineering to get to the value faster. Also develop like this, you know, PhD go to market motion for small teams. We give the product for free for teams for up to eight. So it created this like um, learning energy, but also got us like a lot of those uh, leads and that got us like ready to grow during 2021. And then, you know, other things happened in the, in the universe, 2021, you know, COVID and, and all of that. People ask me if that contributed or not. I don't know. Like I only experienced, you know, my third year with the company in 2021. So I don't have a benchmark like to compare it like to a regular year, but it could be that it accelerated it because, you know, people were working from home, that hybrid motion like got into, got more popular. So the need in product like ours increased. I mentioned there in the intro that you've raised over 70 million in funding. What have you learned about fundraising? Are there any insights and lessons that you can share with the founders listening in? Yes, definitely. I think I'll start and say that I think the investors and the board that we have today is amazing. And my best tip is don't always go on the best deal that is offered. I know it could sound like a cliche, but this is a true partnership. Like see who are the people that you want to do business with. You got to work a lot with your investors. So it's almost like an interview. You got to make sure that the chemistry is there. I didn't know all of that, you know, when we started, you know, but as the round progressed, you know, and then we did our B round, we took our time. We met with more people. We, we said, okay, of course the valuation matters. I won't say that it didn't, but I think that's my most important tip. Don't go on the best, you know, higher offer, but rather, you know, look for the people that you believe that you can work with and that they're aligned with your vision. They understand what you're trying to do. That's the best tip that I can give. And outside of fundraising, based on everything that you've learned so far, if you had to start the company again today from scratch, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself? I would say, enjoy yourself. That's the tip I would give myself because uh, it's a long journey. And I think sometimes we want to keep think about like the end game and what's going to happen. Wow. And this is a lot of like highs and lows. So the most important thing is like for founders is to remember to enjoy. When you enjoy what you do, and of course, it's not just pure fun. Of course, there's a lot of like uh, challenges. But when you focus so on, I'll go back to a story where I began with, like, you know, when I was 13 and I built this, uh, I'll start building those programs. And I, I don't know if I told you, but I, I forced my sister and my mother, like, to play with the crappy games that I wrote. I get the same joy today when yeah. you're releasing a feature and people are doing something with it, even like the first, you know, two users. So I would say find like the thing that you're enjoying, that you get joy from. Remember to keep that naivety inside you. Of course, you got to be sharp, but keep that child inside of you that knows, you know, how to enjoy things. I think that's, uh, that's really important because it's a long journey. So you gotta, you gotta stay connected and you gotta learn to enjoy new things, right? Because the, the company evolved. So I enjoy now cracking go to market. Like, you know, I was a developer, but I really enjoy, you know, how do we match, how do we get the right, you know, demand that for ICP and make sure that we can sell them and and retain them and, and, and everything, all of that together. So just remember to 
to enjoy what you're doing and, and look for ways like to keep enjoying. Otherwise, it, it, it's, it's tough. And final question for you. Let's zoom out into the future. So three to five years from today, what's the vision that you're hoping to build? What does that vision look like? Yeah, so we want to make it prudent in our software is being uh, developed. We want to be the software delivery management platform. We believe that there's a big need to this type of thing because, you know, we hear a lot of buzz about generative AI and all of that. I think like uh, writing code is one thing. There's a lot of companies focus on that, how you make this more efficient. But people have like this big, I think software industry has this blind spot of, okay, what happens to that code once it's written and makes its way all the way to production? And we want to be that company that orchestrates all that process. We don't want to replace the CI vendors. We don't want to replace the CD vendors. We don't want to replace the, you know, the feature flag vendors of the world and, you know, the infrastructure players, but we want to be the one that orchestrates all that process, integrates with them so that, you know, those platform engineering and the developers and the, the team leads, they can write the rules of, hey, what happens with this change and how does it make its way all the way to production and even maybe turn the feature flag on automatically and, you know, how some other changes need more time. And we think that it will be a true challenge when to apply the human aspect. And that's the vision of software delivery management. It's a big vision because the, the role of the, of the, of the humans in, in that process is evolving and changing. And we want to be the ones that enable that transformation and revolution. Amazing. I love the vision and I love what you're building. We are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build and execute on this vision, where should they go? They can go to our website, lineab.io. The stories are there. They can go to our LinkedIn page, to our Twitter handle, search for Linear B and follow there. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk about what you're building and share these lessons that you've learned along the way. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I know the audience is going to as well and really, really appreciate you taking the time. So thanks so much. And thank you, Brett. This was great. All right, keep it Dutch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 